Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be together. And my prayer has been all week that you're ready to hear God's word and dive into week two in our series called Esther, World Changer. Now, this has already started to impact my life. This study, the details of Esther's life, we had a wonderful start to her story and to the book of Esther last week. But today, we need to go further in. We need to dive further in to Esther's life. And I need to remind you of a powerful truth. We can even call it the theme for this morning. Listen to this. God can empower anyone to be a world changer if that person, male or female, is available to God. If we're available to God, God can empower anyone to be a world changer in the world that God has placed us. Now, I've got a little addition I want to add. Guys, you need to listen to this, but ladies, girls, I want you to understand that in today's message on Esther, we're going to discover that God has a plan for everyone's life, but there is nothing in this world that can match the power of a godly woman. Now, maybe you think I'm going a little bit overboard. I'm not trying to please or brown nose our female friends. What I am doing is helping everyone understand that Esther will continually remind us God has a plan for everyone, but the power of a godly woman, that is a force that God has used to change the world for centuries. In fact, I love this simple story about a husband who was helping his wife do some cleaning. And he came across a box. Now, now this box was special. This was a shoe box that in the very first couple of weeks of their marriage, she said to her husband, I need you to trust me. Don't ever ask me about the box and don't ever open the box. She said, can I, can I get your word on it? Well, he was a little perplexed, perplexed, but it was a new bride, and he said, yeah. He said, I, I won't look in it, and I won't ask you about it. Now, they're cleaning out, and get this, it's 25 years later. The husband pulls this same box out of the closet. He brings it to his wife and says, now? Can we talk about it now? She goes, I guess it's time. Open the lid. He opened it. And he was surprised to find two things. He found $50,000 cash. 
And he found two crocheted dolls. He goes, I don't get it. He said, what's, what's the deal? She said, well, honestly, it was your grandmother that taught me about this box on our wedding day. And he goes, well, what did Granny say? She said, your grandmother told me that whenever I got angry at you, instead of fighting with you, I should crochet a doll. And so she said, honey, I learned to crochet right away, and I followed your grandmother's wisdom. Well, this almost brought her husband to tears. He's thinking, wow, this is incredible. He actually said, so honey, you're telling me that you've only been upset with me twice in 25 years. And she didn't say anything. And he says, now before you, you answer, what's the $50,000? And his wife had a big smile on her face and she said, that's all the money I made from all the dolls I made and sold over 25 years. Well, that, that deflated her husband's ego pretty quick. But can I say it again? Do you mind? Don't forget the theme. In today's message, we're going to learn that God has a plan for everyone's life, but there is nothing like a godly woman who has submitted her life fully over to God that is used to change her world and change the world. Let's get started. Three great insights, and we've got a lot of biblical ground to cover this morning. Esther 1, 16 through 22. I'm going to dive in here. Then Memekin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and all the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility will have heard about the queen's conduct, will respond to all the queen, king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who, listen, listen now, church, who is better than she. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice, so the king did as Memekin proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in his own script, and to each people in their own language, 
proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his household using his native tongue. Now here's our first insight. The power of a godly woman is rooted in God's plan. Now if I'm not careful as a man, I can get myself into trouble, can't I? But I need to give you the backstory. I need you to understand what's going on. And you might want to go back later on and read all of chapter 1. But I want to just describe what's taking place. Esther's name is not even mentioned in chapter 1 because she's not the queen. The queen is Vashti. Vashti was known as a woman throughout history with a strong mind, a strong will, as we can see in this story. And he, as king, Xerxes, had decided he was going to have all of his nobles from 127 provinces, from the Persian Medes kingdom, all the way to Egypt or Ethiopia, which is Cush. And get this. Have you ever been to a party that lasted 180 days or six months? I don't know how it all took place, but this was a long-running party. Now, scholars wonder why would such a, a, an elaborate feast be given? No one's for sure, but some, uh, some historians believe this was the preparation moment for Xerxes to prepare his vast realm and kingdom to go to war with Greece. So perhaps that's the reason that everyone came. Now here's something else that really is going to matter in this story. We're told that the setting is elaborate. The literal uh, description of this goes along with the Persian word for garden is paradise. So in the Persian realm, in Susa, where this is taking place, all of these nobles and their families would have been invited, and they would have been within the king's palace or garden paradise. And it was lavish. I mean lavish. Did you... Just go back and read chapter 1. Soak in the details. There are uh, tapestries of blue and white linen hanging throughout the garden. The, the sidewalks and roads are made of pearl. They're mosaics of gold. In fact, speaking of gold, archaeologists have actually been able to prove that what is written here in the Bible was true that Xerxes had couches made of silver and gold to sit on. I don't know what you sit on at home, but I'm not sitting on gold and silver. I mean, this party was extreme. But there's another ingredient that matters in this. There was plenty of wine. There was no run out of, of this pleasurable drink that the kingdom of Persia fermented. And there were no limits. We're literally told earlier in chapter 1 
that there were no limits. People could drink as much as they wanted. Can you imagine how much wine they went through in six months? But it does explain a very interesting wording that we find. Now, back up just a moment and realize Queen Vashti is having a banquet for the ladies, for the women. That probably lasted about seven days. Xerxes is having a banquet that lasted a week for the the guys. I call it more of a brouhaha that's going on. They're drinking. Now, I I thought this was interesting, okay? This was a men's only time of gathering. And it says in Scripture that the king's heart was good with wine. In other words, he was lighthearted because he was drunk. He was inebriated. And during this this time of great drinking and this male brouhaha, love saying that word, then all of a sudden he has an idea. He says, let's go get, let's go get Queen Vashti from her banquet. And she needs to come in in all her regalia, her beauty, and with her, her crown. She, I want her to come into this setting so all the guys can see how beautiful my wife is. So Xerxes sends seven eunuchs to go get her. Now seven in the Persian Empire and in Hebrew tradition, the number seven was sacred. But I don't really think that's why he sent seven. I think he was afraid to send one man to Queen Vashti. I think it took seven guys to go, and the answer still wasn't great. Here's what happened. They go to get the queen, and she refuses to come in. Literally in the Hebrew, we're told that Vashti's unwillingness to respond to the king's summon was crooked. It was literally in the Hebrew. It says her answer was crooked, but again, here's what I think. I don't think the queen wanted wanted to be treated as a piece of property to be uh, put on parade for all of these drunken guys. Hundreds of drunken guys. Look at my wife in her crown. I don't think that's what she wanted at all, but her answer ticked off the king. In fact, it says he was angry and he He burned with this anger. So what now? You got a king who's inebriated, and he's mad at the queen, so what does he do? He goes and gets seven of his wisest noblemen, think of them as his counsel, and he says, hey, what's the law on this? When a queen doesn't respond to the king, They have this discussion, but it's the wise, noble mimicking who gives the acceptable answer. Here's how I put it. King, issue a royal decree that states Vashti can never come into your presence again. Furthermore, give her royal position to a woman who is better than she is. Now, this is important, King. We got to do this so that all of the nobles, all of the men, all throughout your vast 
realm and empire know that they have to respect their husband and do what he says. Because if not, this is what I think is one of the earliest forms of social media. It's going to get out, and they're, the women are going to say, well, the queen didn't do it. We don't have to do it. The king liked Mimikin's answer, but don't miss this. Remember, he basically said, furthermore, give Vashti's royal position to someone else who is better than she. Do we actually think that God is silent in Esther's story? Since time began, God has been giving free will to human beings. But that doesn't mean that he's taking a hands-off approach. He wants humans, like you and me, to make good decisions. Have you ever known people to make bad decisions? Have you ever made bad decisions? That's why we can't underestimate God. In fact, I turned over to Proverbs chapter 21, verses 1 through 2, and I read these words again from another king. Solomon once wrote, In the, hand, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Do not lose sight of this. Just because Xerxes is a pagan, it doesn't mean that God is not working behind the scenes for his people and his plan. In fact, Pastor Chuck Swindoll wrote this, God's hand is not so short that it cannot save nor is his ear so heavy that he cannot hear. Whether you see him or not, he is at work in your life at this very moment. Listen, here is this first insight. The power of a godly woman is rooted in God's plan. And I don't want to undermine the guys this morning. Please don't, please don't be upset about this. But I, I just want to speak for my own life. I am so grateful for my wife, Kay, who is a godly woman. And my prayer for you is that you have a godly woman in your life who takes her role seriously. And ladies, I want to remind you that your role cannot be matched. A godly woman who places their life in the hands of God, available to God, is a woman that will change her world and the world that she lives in. It's, it's crucial for us to understand Esther's story. God is not silent. God is working behind the scenes. Even though we haven't read Esther's name yet, we see the hand of God moving in a way that God is, is literally shaping the heart of the king as if the king's heart is a stream of water. Now, this... This leads to another insight. So this is a lot. Remember, we're covering a lot of biblical ground this morning. And this is a longer passage. So hang in there with me. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for a, a beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners 
in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with Jehonakim, king of Judah, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Hester was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had, I'm going to say this name, by the way, differently probably every time, so hang with me, church, all right? He was in charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before your young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil and a myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go into the king. Anything she wanted, she was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there, and in the morning, return to another part of the harem to the care of Shaja's gods, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. Okay, by the way, give yourself a little pat on the back. You did a great job. You hung in there with me. And here's lesson number two. The power of a godly woman is discovered in difficult days. Just say that at home. Take, catch your breath. Moment of refreshment. Let's say it together. The power of a godly woman is discovered in difficult days. Now, chapter 2 reminds us that Esther's world included harems of women. In Esther's time, women were objects of beauty. Now, I, I know the role of a woman should and it has been elevated through centuries. But let's face it, even now, women are so often valued for their looks. That was true for Esther. And we also need to realize that this story, not only today, but throughout Esther's story, it comes with a warning. Not everything in history is acceptable, and not everything in life is fair. 
Do you mind if I say that again? Not everything in history is acceptable and not everything in life is fair. We shouldn't even agree with moments like this where we see what's happening to Esther. She was, I'm going to say, required to go to the citadel. It's not right what happened. But in spite of her circumstances, God's prevailing divine providence begins to take center stage. This is, this is Esther's story and this is our story too. God has a plan. He's working behind the scenes. The power of a godly woman is rooted in God's plan, but this next insight becomes essential. The power of a godly woman is discovered in difficult days. Now, how did, how did Esther end up at the king's house? How did he end up, how did she end up being counted one of these women? Do a little math with me. It's been four years since the king got upset with Vashti and this plan had been laid into place. Uh, Scholars, again, think that probably what's taken place, the reason it's so long in between, is that uh, Xerxes went to Greece, and even though he had one of the greatest military mites in the world at that time, he lost to the, to the, uh, Greek, to the Greeks and to their army. He lost. Now, this is, this is important. I think he went back home. And I think the king struggled because his, his ego was crushed again. And I don't know how you guys feel, but the love of an incredible woman cannot be uh, overlooked at all. And I think he went home, he regretted what had happened with Vashti, and, and the decisions made while he was drunk and enraged but he made a royal edict, and it couldn't be changed. He, he couldn't change it. I know it's odd, but that's how it worked. And so the plan had already been set. The seeds had already been planted. So they began looking for these women. The historian Josephus actually says there were 400 women that were brought to the king's harem, or the house of the king's women. And that's why this second insight, it's hard. This is hard. This is hard, ladies. Guys, this is hard. We live in a society right now that's trying to rewrite history every time we turn around. If we don't like something in history, we got to rewrite it. You know? It's, it's, it's labeled as, as a, a wrong way to interpret things. Listen, I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of things about history that aren't right, and there's a lot of things going on today that are becoming history that aren't right. But I want you to know this. The power of a godly woman is discovered in difficult days. Esther was separated from Mordecai, the only dad she knew. She was taken away. She was told not to own up to being a Jewish woman, Mordecai, his survival instincts kicked in. We'll see why in, in the next couple of weeks. It'll be crucial. We don't see all the big picture right now. Do you see all the big picture of what God's doing in your life? I don't see everything in mine. 
But instead of being upset and trying to rewrite history or jam God in some comfortable little box, in our most difficult days, God is working to do incredible things. Now listen, if we don't give in, if we don't become the victim, what's going on with Esther? Is it right? But yet God had a plan. You might look at me and say, well, why didn't God save her? Here, here's something I want you to, to listen to. Uh, Christine Kane, incredible woman. I've had the opportunity to hear her in person. Born in Sydney, Australia, the daughter of Greek immigrants. When she was 33, she found out that she had been left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted when she was born. And then she was adopted. It was shocking to find out three decades later that you weren't who you thought you were. But here's what even made it worse. She will tell you in her story that her adoptive parents were, were, were wonderful people. And yet they let the wrong people into their home. And she was sexually abused from a small child until she was a teenager. She said, the shame, the guilt, the anger, the unforgiveness, and the bitterness of a young woman. She, she made lots of poor choices. She developed a pattern of destructive behavior. But then she found the power of God in her life. She began to forgive. She began to, to, to look at things differently instead of being a victim she became victorious. And I got to tell you, I want to read you a quote that you won't soon forget from Christine Kane. She said, Jesus didn't come to make us safe. He came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Is anybody in the house yet? Is anybody in the house now? Jesus didn't come to make us safe. He came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of God or to the kingdom of darkness. God's kingdom needs to be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. I have a question for you this morning. Are you listening to, to, to this story about Esther? Are you soaking in what's been taking place? Do you hear what's happening? Are you a danger? Am I a danger to the kingdom of darkness? Or are we just comfortable in our lives? Victims of our own circumstances. Listen to me, ladies. And gentlemen, those of you who love these godly women, listen up. I want to say this. I don't want you to lose this. As beautiful as a woman is on the outside, it's the stunning quality of the woman on the inside that should matter most to us and certainly matters most to God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now listen, don't you dare, don't you dare misunderstand this passage. No one's telling you you can't wear jewelry, girls. No one's telling you that your hair and makeup 
aren't important to us as they are definitely important to you. But I don't want you to miss this. Esther reminds us that if we're not careful, we'll try to rewrite history. And we're going to talk about how wrong harems are. And we're going to begin to talk about how unfair God is and miss what God is doing in the midst of human choices God is not pleased with. In the most difficult days of young Esther's life, she was beginning to discover what it meant for God to prepare her to be a powerful, godly woman who would change the world and save God's people. And that leads to this last piece. I know that, I know that time is fleeting, but hang in there. We've got one final piece today, one more insight I've got to give you before you leave. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle, Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch was, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than, than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all the nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout all the provinces, and distributed gifts with royal liberty, liberality. Here's our third insight. The power of a godly woman wins the favor of her world. The power of a godly woman wins the favor of her world. There are two standouts to me in the closing part of this, this passage. First is this. When Esther was finally asked to go to the king, after all the beauty treatments and all of the, the time spent to prepare her, she could have taken anything she wanted. I'm assuming that means cosmetics, jewelry, food. It could have meant anything. She did not ask for anything other than what the king's eunuch knew would be helpful. I think she went as herself. Her gentle spirit committed to God in a pagan, in a pagan land. God saw this woman. Listen, God sees you, where you are, what you're going through, in the midst of a world that is going to hell in a handbasket. God sees us. In the midst of our struggles, the difficult days we live in, the difficult decisions. And here's what I want you to realize. This second lesson, the power of a godly woman is, is incredible. She wins the favor of her world, and that's the second thing that's so important. She went into the king. They were intimate together, and he fell in love with her. He favored her. 
more than any other woman. Why? Because Esther was a godly woman. She was a woman that won the favor of the king. And God's plan was in motion to save his people. Please hear me this morning. I love the fact that Esther's name, her Persian name means star. She wasn't trying to be the star of the show. She was a star that attracted the beauty of all those that saw her. Her gentle spirit, her humility, her willingness to accept the plan of God for her life. Here was Mordecai. Mordecai was outside. He couldn't go in to see her. But he paced back and forth. He was waiting on just a little bit of news, like any dad would. But what's going on? Esther is the star of God. He's bring, she's bringing light and favor into the world that she was born into. I love what writer Elizabeth George says. I think she captures this story. A godly woman is beyond average because she keeps her word. She honors her vows. She exhibits great faith. She overcomes great obstacles. And she affects her family, her community, even the world. Hear me when I say this this morning. The power of a godly woman can change the world. She will change the world where God has placed her. But she is a world changer for everyone else she impacts. What about you? First to the, to, to, to the guys. Guys, are you ready to celebrate the godly women that are in your life? Are you willing to remind them of how important they are? Are you willing as, as a man to, to realize that women are God's gift to us? They're not valued simply for their beauty. It's their inner beauty and gentle spirit that matters to God and should matter most to us. And ladies, what about you? Where are you at in all of this? Yeah, you've been through some difficult times. A lot of things have happened to, to women that I know that are unfair. Unspeakable things that make you ask, where's God? But I want you to know that God has a plan. In a world of free will and human choices, God has a plan. And if you'll allow me to close this morning, this is how I'd like, it, like us to do it. Let's bow our heads. And ladies, wherever you are, if you're able, I want you just to stand. I want you to stand in the presence of God. And I want to pray for all of these women. And guys, if you're around a godly woman, now's the time to take her hand, to pray with her as we ask God's blessing on these incredible gifts God has given to us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the story of Esther. We've covered a lot of ground this morning, but God, we are stopping right here to say thank you for godly women. Thank you for the story of Esther and how you are using this story to change our lives already. But God, I know there's some men and women who have been through some really difficult times and it would be easy to complain 
and to play the victim. But God, we choose to be victorious in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you for these godly women. Bless them, empower them, gift them, encourage them, and may we realize again today that the power of a godly woman can change the world. Esther did, and we are so grateful. Blessed today as we continue to move forward through this great adventure called life. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this next uh, chapter in Esther. And just keep diving deep. Read the passages. And remember that you are not alone. You are loved. And until we see each other again, take heart and be transformed. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ.